Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. After two segments on the Louisville Cardinal cast, I'd like to announce I'll be transferring back to the Redcast, fellas. So soon? (laughs) I saw what I needed to see. Also with Boomer. If I hear one Wu-Pig Sui in this podcast, I'm out, Dave, so just so you know. All right. Uh, I'm also with Redcast Rob. Hey, good evening, guys. With the uh, Nebraska sports season coming to an official end here, a few of the guys are going to be taking a hiatus. So I will be premiering the Go Big Nerdcast, where I'll be talking about the future for Donnie Cates as he comes to an end with his run of Venom. And uh, what is Matthew Rosenberg doing these days? I got nothing on that, I... Rob. Nothing. Completely over my head. No Funky idea. I've been guest hosting quite a bit about. of that. So. Nerds! <laughs> Oh, Honky and I are going to do a special Star Wars section of that entire podcast, so it's going to be fantastic. (laughs) Perfect. I might actually listen to that one. All right, fellas. Well, um, we've got uh, plenty to cover tonight, uh, baseball-related mainly. Uh, We'll maybe touch on some uh, Husker football and uh, talk some college playoff expansion, like everybody else is talking in the offseason. But um, let's, let's start with baseball. And Honky, uh, Monday night was a lot of fun for quite a while. It was great to watch a Husker men's sports team compete at the highest level possible, really, against the number one team in the country in a hostile environment, um, actually be up 2-0 and be tied 2-2 deep into the game. Um, But at the end of the day, uh, Huskers did not get it done down in Fayetteville. Uh, Your initial thoughts on the end of uh, year two of Will Bolt. Crap, I didn't know it was over. I'm my ESPN three is still freezing up here, so uh, <laughs> I'm still in the seventh <laughs> inning. But uh, as far as the team goes, I mean, goodness gracious, talk about outplaying every single expectation. Uh, we brought it up so many times to be not even considered one of the top six teams in the conference coming into the season to have them take the number one uh, Arkansas Razorbacks to the absolute limit. Pig Suey's an annoying champ, but we made him have to do it a lot because uh, we had him nervous down there in Fayetteville. So very proud of the guys, very proud of, of Bolt, and we have a solid foundation for this program moving forward. Yeah, no doubt about that, Honk. Uh, Boomer, you know, it was uh, quite the uh, long weekend, five games. Uh, they had to come through the loser's bracket after losing to Arkansas uh, on Saturday night, but then they actually took down Arkansas Five three on Sunday um, felt like you know if we just had a little bit more pitching um, left in that game we, we could have pulled it out. That really was the story of it. Um, they they made a valiant run on it, and I think everyone went all hands on deck. We just didn't quite have the the arms left. You know, you you're playing that fifth game, and it's tough. I, you just kind of saw the difference. We have you know we had good pitchers, but we didn't have you know kind of the elite MLB style pitcher that Arkansas did with Cops. He's a heck of a pitcher. I mean, he's he's worth everything that everyone talked about him. And I'm pretty sure the announcers mentioned his his abilities once or twice during the broadcast to back him up. So, but the guy threw 185 pitches. So. Yeah, that's a lot. So yeah, and I and I actually thought we'd have a pretty good shot when we got to him in what the third inning that final game. I was really hoping you know he wouldn't have a whole lot left or Van Horn wouldn't keep him in that long. You know, we'd be able to get him, maybe get a few hits on him, get his pitch count up a little higher and maybe chase him out early and have a you know, real shot at the game. But, man, he, 
he pitched a beauty in that final game, and we just couldn't seem to connect on his pitch. That cutter slider slash thing he's got. So. Yeah, that's right. You know, honky. I know, I know you're you're excited when you give me a call uh, after a, a sporting event, and you gave me a call after the five three victory on on Sunday night, and you're asking, you know, what, what would be an ideal scenario, and I'm like, well, I mean, if they had to go to cops early. That means he probably won't be able to finish the game himself, and we could get to him sometime in the seventh or eighth inning. They're going to have to pull him, and then we'll get another shot at him. And it actually played out just like that, except we never could get him out of the game. Yeah, it felt, you know, I don't understand strike zones the way you guys do, and I know that's been a discussion for later in that game, but it seemed like, you know, a lot of the, the pitches he was doing in the third and fourth and fifth innings, I'm sure they're very tricky to see to the eye, but they would end up being balls, but we were swinging at them. And I don't know if that's something from a coaching standpoint. Do you sit there and just say, take it, take the first one, force him to throw strikes. Cause he really wasn't throwing strikes. I mean, we were swinging at him and making him strikes, but those ball, a lot of those pitches, if we were disciplined there and I, maybe that's the wrong word. Cause I'm not trying to say they were undisciplined, but if we just didn't swing at him, it seemed like a lot of those would have ended up being balls and something yeah. to just yeah. try to raise his pitch count. Cause I think they <laughs> said he did 60 pitches and, basically did it in five innings. He was averaging 12 pitches a an inning there. Yeah, and I think that's the challenge with, with him as a pitcher. It's just, especially if you get down to him early, you know, if you get down 0-2 or 1-2 him in the count and you're looking at that third strike and that pitch he throws, you know, I, every all the batters that try to swing at it say it looks like it's a fastball coming out of sure. his hand. It doesn't look like it's going to be, you know, a slider cutter type thing. And, you know, you're trained basically to swing at that because it looks like it's going to be a fastball. Yeah, and Boomer, I'm not even talking about the – I'm talking about first pitch a lot of times. I mean, right, we were, right. We had a couple guys that were swinging at the first one. They were getting strikes right away on pitches that would have probably ended up being balls. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. And, uh, Rob, I mean, you, you follow Major League Baseball closely. This is kind of your first year you followed Husker Baseball closely. I think – you know, we do have maybe one major league um, pitcher, maybe two, I don't know, on the Husker staff. I, I think Schwellenbach um, might be MLB worthy. He doesn't have the same stuff that Cops does, but that's the case across the entire country. Cops is a, essentially the national player of the year based off of this, this cut fastball, this cutter he has. So talk about the cutter a little bit. There's other major league pitchers that have made a living off of this pitch. And what's so tricky about it? Yeah, I had no idea, even after the game, the cops was the number one pitcher in the entire country because the announcers didn't mention it more than 30 <laughs> or 40 times the entire game. Um, and it was getting to the point of annoying, too. Like, I get it. Like, he he was a great pitcher, but you would have thought that Arkansas was out there just throwing, you know, batting practice or something and none of the players could hit him, um, which wasn't the case either. The thing about the cutter... Um, it's about release point. It's about the way the ball comes out of the hand looking like a normal fastball, but it moves away, especially if a right-handed pitcher is pitching against right-handed batters, the ball moves away from uh, the hitter in a way that where the hitter thinks the ball is going to be coming straight across the plate, uh, even to the point to where you throw two or three cutters and then you can actually literally throw a ball right down the middle of the plate and a player won't swing at it because they expect the cutter to be outside, right? Because you kind of nibble at the plate a little bit with that pitch. You want to just keep moving the ball away and away and away. Mariano Rivera, Hall of Fame pitcher for the New York Yankees, the closer, 
I mean, he made an entire career. That was his only pitch. And that's what he'd do. You throw one or two pitches, maybe down and away a little bit, but still over the plate. You you establish yourself a strike zone, and then you can move the ball a little bit further away each time because those guys have that kind of control to do it. And that's the thing. Cots has that control already. You know, he's he's doing this in college, which a lot of college pitchers can't do. And it brings me to the point of the strike zone itself. Um, the strike zone in baseball, one of the great traditions of time is that a strike zone is established by the umpire at the beginning of the game, whether it's good or bad. I mean, that's arguable, but it's established and you want to see consistency with it. Um, one of the biggest complaints I saw from this game was that there was a lot of people saying that Nebraska was getting squeezed in the strike zone or that the pitching or the, the calls of the balls and strikes were inconsistent between both teams. So of course, me being me, um, you know, the best color guy in the business as honky said on Twitter <laughs> one time, um, I went back and looked at every single pitch for the game for Nebraska and Arkansas. And I'll be honest with you, the umpiring on both sides of the ball was absolutely atrocious. There were balls being called with strikes right down the middle um, for Nebraska pitchers and for Arkansas pitchers alike. Um, so I will say this, the umpire was consistently terrible. Um, and it just, the problem is, is everyone kept saying, Oh, we walked too many batters. We walked too many batters. And I went back to look even on Monday, Nebraska only had five walks in the game. It was just the timing of them. There's three um, of them in the eighth, all right? Three of them in the eighth. And as you and I were talking about earlier today before before we started recording, um, it's one thing, okay, so you walk a guy, you throw four straight balls, okay? Were some of them close? Yes. But the thing is, you got to throw a strike, and those guys are going to sit there, and an umpire wants to see if you can even get the ball over the middle of the plate. And in the majors, I mean, a guy takes three balls, they're going to have a red light, they're not going to – don't swing until he throws you a strike. Like that's the way it goes. I'm an ace fan. That's what we do. We work the count. <laughs> that's what we do. We work the count. It's money ball. You know, you get a guy that's on right. base and you have a better chance of scoring than a guy just standing at the plate with nobody on base. Right. I mean, it's the whole thing about sabermetrics and all that. It's math um, people. It, it is math. And, and the thing was, is that our pitchers for whatever reason could not even throw the ball over the middle of the plate, period. That's what it was. And so the umpire is not going to give you the respect or the benefit of the doubt when it comes to that. Yeah, no I just think by the time you're in your fifth game of a regional, you get to the point where you're just running out of arms, and it's not a lack of effort on the guy's parts or That's anything. True. My gosh, no. I mean, Povich comes out and throws 60 pitches three days after throwing 60-some pitches, right? I mean, the guys are they're giving it their all, and they're, they're trying to get it over the plate, but at the end of the day, trying or not, if, if they're not being called strikes because you're not throwing strikes, then you're not throwing strikes, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, and don't don't get me wrong because I'm not trying to say that that they played poorly because I will tell you this, the entire time, I never in any of those games ever felt like this team is out of it because I also know that they're capable of big innings, right? So sure. even when they were like down two runs or down three or four runs at one point, I kept thinking to myself, they can do this. If they can just get a couple of hits, get a little bit of confidence back, next thing you know, I mean, that's, you know, I think I posted on Twitter Twitter too, a picture of like a carousel going in circles at one point when we were playing uh, New Jersey uh, Institute of Technology or whatever they're called, the School NGIT. of Engineering, NJIT, um, the school out of Newark. It's just a carousel, just going in circles. And that's what you want to see on the bases. And Nebraska is fully capable of doing that. So they've got a bright future. I mean, I think that it's going to be really fun to watch this team um, for years to come, I think if, if, if a bull continues to get the players that he wants and uh, the team just continues to play with the, with the heart that they played with, because that was definitely a team that showed a lot of heart. Well, um, to wrap up the strike zone thing, just a little bit. And then I want to talk about that, uh, Rob, 
is that I, I think Honky, I think you're right in the sense of that they, they were exhausted there from a pitching standpoint. And you could tell that because if you watched, it was Cody Frank who issued a couple of those walks and then Bunts. When pitchers are tired, the ball rises up in the strike zone. They can't get it down enough when they even just throw a fastball. And a lot, they were missing the strike zone high, those last couple batters. They just didn't have the arm left. And then when Bunce finally threw that wild pitch, he was intentionally trying to get it down, and he hangs on to it too long, and it goes into the dirt, right? It literally, it was just a recipe for a disaster there because he could not get the ball down, and he was just tired. And under a, a pressure pack situation too, I'm sure that impacts it. But so um, uh, it was a a great run, a very impressive across the board, um, and they just didn't quite get it done. Which is, you know, similar to a, a Van Horn, um, you know, scenario where they went to Stanford and lost a game seven in the Sunken Diamond to the Stanford Cardinal, and um, you know, then come back and build upon that and, and make the the Super Regionals and Cultural Series eventually. So. Yeah, Tony Hayek wrote that to us on Twitter, said, Go Big Redcast, please talk about what this loss means in terms of motivation and momentum going into next year. These boys did what very few teams have done this season. That's go toe-to-toe with the number one team in the country three times, even winning one, uh, GBR Bolt era. Um, I mean, Dave, what is the motivation right now and and momentum that can come out of this series as we go into the offseason, as we come back into next year? Yeah, it's got to be pretty high, right? Um, you know, they do, are going to lose some key pieces. Uh, I think Spencer Schwalenbach is going to be a relatively high draft pick, probably second, third round. So that's probably money that he's not going to turn down. Um, and we lose a couple of the super seniors uh, like Mojo and Joe Acker, uh, and they'll be missed, but they also have kind of put their mark on this team. And I, I think what Rob was saying there is like, it was interesting. It was almost like I felt like, like Van Horn in Arkansas was was looking at themselves across the diamond a little bit, right? Because, I mean, you think of how Van Horn and Bolt are going to coach very similarly. But I think I think Arkansas was taken aback on how much energy and passion and determination and grit that Bolt and Nebraska brought mm-hmm. to, to Fayetteville. And they're like, dang, we need to be doing that if we're going to win this thing, right? And so um, I think... Will Bolt is essentially kind of bringing that mentality to mm-hmm. to Nebraska and into the Big Ten. And if he can uh, continue to recruit right, I think he's got a good class coming in. And he can keep the supply of JUCO players uh, coming up as well, kind of fill in um, where needed. I, I think, you know, they could be right back um, there next year. I do think if Cade Povich comes back, that will be an important piece. Um, he has two years of eligibility left. Uh, but he is draft eligible um, because of the COVID year. So I'll be interested to see where that goes. I'll make a prediction here right now. I, I think Arkansas is going to win this whole thing. And I think that they're going to point back to this regional as a reason for what that, I mean, I think this prepared them. It, it probably scared them, but it also, they saw a team that was hungry and, and everything in Nebraska gave them everything they wanted. And I think that Arkansas is going to be better from that. You know, normally you'd say, well, they're the number one seed overall, but as ESPN showed, there, I think, has been like one number one seed overall that's won it all in the last 20 years. It was like Miami in 99. So number one seeds haven't been winning it all. So yep, that's right. I'll, I'll just I'll just throw it out there. And if I'm wrong, we're going on hiatus after a week later anyway. So <laughs> I don't hear it from anyone. No one can find you. Yeah. But, you know, Rob, you had kind of the opposite thought. You, you were like, I don't know if this Arkansas team is good enough. And I, I kind of see it. I see both sides of it in the sense of that they didn't hit that well outside of the home runs. And I don't know 
when they get to Omaha, if they can rely on cops uh, like they do in a regular three game series. So it should be interesting. I don't know. Yeah. And I, and I don't disagree with honky that they are capable of, of winning it all. Right. Um, why I don't think Arkansas is, I would say set to win it all. They're going to have to really work hard to get there at this point is one, the teams are only getting better that they're playing right now. Nebraska, don't get me wrong. Nebraska played them as good as anyone else is going to play them. But Nebraska also had a lot of guys that they left on base. Right. And uh, that being said, it wasn't, I don't feel like Nebraska necessarily lost uh, or Arkansas necessarily won both those games. I feel like Nebraska lost the two games that they lost to Arkansas, right? Because they had control of the game uh, through a big part of it. I realize there's nine innings, but through five, six innings, seven innings, they at times they really felt like they had, were in control. Um, the game they won and, and even the game on Monday, they felt like they were in control and they just missed opportunities, I think would be the theme. And I said it earlier, I think uh, when we were all texting at one point that, you know, had they gone up three, four, five runs, right? At one point they were up like that. The, it's going to change the game completely, right? Arkansas is going to be the team pressing, but two runs, you know, that's not a lot of runs in baseball. Well, it's easy to make you're it right. up. Yeah. And, but you're up three, four, five runs. Next thing you know, they're the ones pressing. They're the ones swinging at pitches that are just a little bit outside. They're the ones um, really working hard, trying to swing for the fences and, and maybe swinging over the top of the ball or just under it, you know. Um, and those are the things that can that can change because baseball is a game of momentum. So um, I think that any team that is able to capitalize on getting runners on base against Arkansas, they're going to um, – have some success against them. And I mean, even New Jersey Institute technology at one point, I think they were up three, nothing, I think in the first game, right. Against, yeah, against right. Arkansas. And they, obviously they were going to lose that game. I, I don't think that there was any doubt in my mind that they were going to end up losing. I didn't realize that Arkansas was going to put a 10 spot up on them, you know, yeah, Arkansas but, started their fourth starter in that yeah. game. Yeah. And well, yeah, but my, my point being though, is that like, Arkansas's pitching may not be as deep as a lot of people think right outside of Cubs. Well, they're and, only number one and, in the SEC, Rob. And well, they've only gone the whole season you know, with that pitching staff. And Well, I, I mean, and I get, I I think get they'll that. Be, but, I think they'll be ready. But the point is, I mean, this isn't the, I, I get that. My this point is, the is hog I think cast, that I'm just saying and, that yeah. I, think, I, think they'll, <laughs> I think they'll be okay. I think, that, um, I think that they're a beatable team is my point. Yeah, and we're going to find out. That's the beauty of the next couple of weeks is that they've got a Super Regional and a World Series that they can try to win and, and they can prove it. Um, so it's going to be interesting. And um, But I know that at the end of the day, they're going to know that Nebraska gave them all they had in the regional. So good stuff. Good stuff, guys. Hockey, do you want to uh, transition over to football? You want to talk a little bit just on roster management, and then we can just talk playoffs. <laughs> sure. Recruiting-wise, uh, we've offered now the Lincoln Southeast kid, uh, Jake Applegut. We also got a commitment from Chase Androff, and he's a 6'6", 230-pound tight end from Lakeville, Minnesota. So that's number three in this recruiting class, and I expect that we're going to see a number – of other kids uh, commit on here this month during the month of June. We have a lot of camps going on and just opportunities for guys to be getting offers to talk a little 2023 and 2024 in-state recruiting. We currently have offers out in 2023. So these would be juniors this year. Uh, we have offers out to Elkhorn South, uh, Maverick Newton, Pierce's uh, Ben Brommer, who has committed, uh, Lincoln Southeast Gunner Gotchula, and Titum tu Tuioti, so uh, Coach Tuioti's son. And right. for 2024, we've already offered two kids, uh, Bellevue West prospects, 
quarterback Daniel Caitlin and wide receiver Devon Hall. So, I mean, that's six dudes. You know, we're not slow playing guys. We're getting out way in front. And uh, there's other names that uh, that are in the mix too. Grand Island had some jamboree or something they called it, where they brought in like 12 or 13, 14 teams here this last weekend. And there are a number of players there that uh, I know are getting looks too. So we're going to get some in-state kids this year still, despite some of the right. Omaha kids not coming here. We're still going to get some. And they're well on the path already with 2023 and 24. I mean, it's a testament to how, how deep um, Nebraska high school football is right now, it seems like. I mean, they're starting to really produce – um, uh, a lot of D1 athletes. And, you know, we, we've had these conversations before. It's like, and were they just simply being undervalued or before or not? But it, it, there's no doubt that right now that there's a, a lot of D1 offers going out to Nebraska kids, which is great to see. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you know, you, you mentioned Luke McCaffrey in the hot take honk. So I, I can't not pass up talking about that just for a little bit, <laughs> just because the transfer portal is, is hilarious. Right. Uh, so, I mean, I, I've no ill will to Luke or his family. I, I hope he finds the right spot, but it is amazing that you have a scenario where he, um, you know, decides that Nebraska is not the right place for him. Even decides not to suit up for the Rutgers game transfers out lands at Louisville only a couple weeks later is relatively quick turnaround compared to some of our other uh, transfer portal losses. But um, Scott Satterfield, the Louisville coach this morning on radio, um, says that he was there for three or four practices or, or workouts um, and um, realized that he was not going to be their starting quarterback, at least immediately. And uh, he's decided to move on from Louisville. I mean, just amazing, right, Hunk? You know, I mean, this one shocked me. I wasn't expecting him to be transferring already. You think about it. I mean, he wasn't there during spring. So he wasn't practicing right. with them over spring ball. He literally just got there and he went through about, you know, three or four, uh, you know, summer workouts and, and that was it. And the way the coach was kind of making it sound like I'm not trying to throw the kid under the bus. The coach was basically saying that he came here to start. I mean, we talked about four months ago where we're like their depth yep. chart basically mirrored ours. I mean, it was you had a returning quarterback that you're, you were going to at least have to beat out a returning starter. And then they had a couple other guys that were freshman, sophomore, you know, guys. So, I mean. He was going to get into a quarterback battle, and I don't know if he just didn't want to be in a quarterback battle or whatever. I don't know. what I'm not sure. But, yeah, there could uh, be other factors that sure. he decided that Louisville wasn't the place for him. But, um, you know, again, it's an, the transfer portal is a, a crazy place, um, and it just is confusing on how mm-hmm. someone could make a commitment to transfer um, without having that really thoroughly vetted right mm-hmm. understanding the lay of the land deciding if he likes the campus or not the the culture within the locker room all that type of stuff and uh, and obviously only being there for a week or two it didn't seem like a right fit yeah you know what's interesting is a lot of husker fans about three four months ago when he did transfer from here they lamented what this did to our quarterback depth and how terrible that was going to be for us but uh, you know here we are sitting with uh, Martinez, a fourth-year starting quarterback, coming back. And we have Logan Smothers and we have Heinrich Harburg that have made it through spring ball. And, and uh, I was watching on Saturday morning on BTN, they had a replay of the Colorado-Nebraska game from 1994. Yeah, I you, saw that. If you're on our Twitter feed at all right now for the next you know 24 hours or so, we still have pinned to it a screenshot I took from that where they showed Beringer and they showed the Nebraska quarterback depth. Now, Frazier was injured already. He had the blood clots. But number one quarterback was Brooke Berenger. Number two was Matt Terman walk-on. Number three was Monte Cristo, a freshman walk-on. Number four was Adam Kuchera, a student manager. 
And number five was Cluster Johnson, the wide receiver who had played quarterback in high school. So that was our depth. I think you were sixth position. on that chart, weren't you? Yeah, I think oh, I was yeah. sixth or seventh. I was on call at least. And that's the <laughs> 1994 national championship team. You know, McCaffrey, I, I wish him well wherever he ends up going. At the end of the day, you're, you know, if you don't stick around a place very long, you're not going to ever be playing for him. That's one thing for sure. I mean, so he's, he's got to find some place that he can, you know, fits well and, and he can stick with. Where do you think he'll end up? You know, there's been some talk on Twitter that because he's a Colorado native that he could end up at maybe CU or one of those schools. Um, I was just trying to look it up here on, on like the Twitter feed and I saw a few people, local people bring it up um, that he could end up possibly going into a school like CU. What do you what think? He'd be say? a great wide receiver at CU. Be a I don't know if he's a Pac-12 quarterback. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. Does he really have it set in his heart to play quarterback somewhere? If that's the case... You know, probably be an FCS program, I would think. Or a what, very run. Yeah, you know, or a very low you know, group of five type program that just needs yeah. an athlete, someone to plug in there just to play. You know, yeah. and there probably are a few schools like that. And maybe so you're saying he's going to yeah. enlist in the Army? <laughs> uh, possibly, yeah. I don't know how cozy yeah. he is with, you know, senators or whatever to get into West Point. But uh, I'm sure, you know, Dad's I, got some pull there. So, but I've said from, from day one on it, he is a D1 talent, but he's not a D1 quarterback. And you know, people are still trying to find with the CU example, they're trying to find schools where the depth chart fits him. The depth chart doesn't matter anymore. There is no school at D1 or certainly in the Power Five. I don't care if it's CU or not. There's no school that's going to have a depth chart that fits what he's looking for. You're going to have to compete anywhere you go. And if you're not willing to compete for that position, you're not going to get that position. There's just no school that's going to say, oh, yeah. And now the more times you do this, it even makes that harder. I mean, other schools are going to be looking at that and going, well, geez, you know, I mean, are you going to be committed here to, to develop? And now the other thing too, Dave, is I don't even know what, how does the, uh, can he transfer and play right away someplace else? Or is that already his one time or would, did he transfer before they made that rule where now he can no, still transfer? No, I don't think so. I think that would have yeah, been. Did he even officially like enroll in classes or anything? I, I don't think he did. So I'm not sure. It, that that's a good question. Yeah. Maybe a reason why he pulled out so quickly. I mean, maybe um, the the simple solution here is that he would be willing to play a different position for the right coach. Sure. <laughs> when that coach might be his father, who uh, happens to be right down the street from Rob there in Greeley, uh, with his brother at quarterback, and he can eventually move over to the quarterback after Dylan um, leaves. Um, so, I mean, maybe maybe Northern Colorado will be winning a you know, a national championship. And what are they playing, Rob? Are they division two or three? Or... No, they're, 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 FCS? Uh, they're in the FCS. Yeah. Oh, they, they play against uh, UC Davis and Sac state. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, they, a uh, Weber state, I think is in there. Right. Right. Division. Okay. All right. All right. Well, there we go. So, I mean, I think that I mean, it might be a, a, a reasonable landing spot for him. The other uh, newsworthy, topic that has been uh, lighting Twitter afire and um, sports radio, et cetera, all the national scribes as well, is college playoff expansion talk. This is Honky's absolute favorite conversation, um, so I'm really glad he's on the show tonight, but maybe I'll just give Boomer and Rob their chance too here, obviously. It, you know, th- this came out a little while ago, but it seems really building up momentum here that um, this working group has uh, landed on a 12-team format as their preferred uh, expansion, and uh, there's some momentum 
to move on it relatively quickly. Uh, it sounds like potentially, um, you know, ESPN may entertain a restructuring of the current contract so that way it doesn't have to go out open uh, to an open bid process. And maybe we actually see this expansion in the next couple of years. The 12 team solution has a lot of um, naysayers and also folks that are in support of it. I think you know, we can kind of break this down a little bit, Boomer. From what I've heard from the 12 team proposal, you would have a first round uh, scenario where the top four teams have buys and the other eight teams are playing at a on campus uh, home environment. Uh, what do you think about that? That's I think been one of the the things the Redcast has agreed on when it comes to playoff expansion. Um, you know, there's kind of been some talk among the, the more questionable sorts in the podcast if it even needs to expand, but we'll kind of ignore <laughs> their their beliefs and just just embrace it for what it is. But we've always been big proponents of actually playing. You know, this radical idea of playing college football games on college campuses. I know that's that's crazy for lots of people, at least you know the people in charge, but. You know, people always talk about what makes college football special. Well, that's one of the things that really does. Playing on in a college stadium on a campus surrounded by, you know, buildings with ivy and bricks and alumni getting to come back and see everything rather than playing in some sterile corporate stadium somewhere where, you know, they're going to have to scrub an NFL, you know, name on and off right before you play and right after again. Uh, that's one of the things that makes it special. And it's one of those things that really would add spice to a season. If you get to play that conference or you're playoff game in a home site that gives you a heck of a lot of incentive to you know play your best games get the highest seed win your conference not rest players that people always talk about as a potential or something like that because you know it, it's going to be a big difference if that's one of those things husker fans always dreamed of back in the 80s and 90s oh if we could just get miami or somebody up here in december think of how different the game would be yeah it probably would be and this would be a great chance to do that so that that would just always be one of those sensible choices and you know, other divisions seem to make this work. So playing games in, in home stadiums, it can be done. It's not like they'd be creating this idea completely out of whole cloth. Rob, you just mentioned uh, Northern Colorado plays in FCS. Uh, you're saying they have like, what, a 2014 playoff, right? Something ridiculous like that. But the fact is, is it works. I mean, I think that that's really what it comes down to. Uh, you know, I've heard people say, oh, the NCAA is against, you know, trying, it sounds like a scheduling nightmare or, you know, it just doesn't seem right. Uh, this whole thing with like three lost teams, et cetera. And what is playoffs about, but intrigue, right? Like, so that it gives more teams an opportunity theoretically to win it all. Um, I mean, what was it when the when the Giants won won the Super Bowl against New England Patriots, right? They're nine and seven on the season, right? But they come you back mean, and they win. You know, you you catch you catch it in a bottle and you and you open up the top and let it blow your uh, ship over the open seas and take it to championship horizons. You know, um, and and I'm all for it. I it it's I tweeted earlier today. Um, somebody was talking about you know what. You know, what, what's something basically that you would, you would, you know, die, you know, die to, you know, stay believing. And I put that ESPN shouldn't be allowed to have contracts with a single division in any college sport and none of their writers should have votes in any polls or awards because it influences <laughs> the oft wrong opinions of so many people creating an unbalanced landscape for all of college sports. Right. 
And I believe that because I think that it is the most stupid thing to have these um, large networks with one, right? Maybe they had the NCAA contract or something, but having these one thing, what they do, all they do is they push, push, push their narrative. And what do we see every year? These SEC teams that are riding the coattails of Alabama, you know, losing in bowl games that everyone says they're going to, you know, and, and the same thing happens even with like college basketball, where you get one division and they get all these teams into the tournament and then they all lose in the first round or the second round. They don't even make it out of the first weekend. Are you referring it's, to the Big Ten this year, Rob? You know what? I really wasn't going to go there, Dave. But it's not It's not just the Big Ten. There's always like that every year. Sure, that's because, happened before, ACC. Yeah, and the, the narrative just gets pushed, 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 pushed. And then next thing you know, um, you know, you just end up with the same teams like Clemson and Alabama playing each other every year with a couple of other teams thrown in there. Um, right now it's Ohio State. And then every now and then you get like Notre Dame. You know what I mean? Like. And it's a very limited pool. I, it is. I mean, we can all all agree that it's been a limited pool. Hockey. I mean, you might be someone who actually uh, um, likes the the four team setup, or at least appreciates that viewpoint. I know that um, Brent Siancia at Pick Six previews is someone in that camp, right? Yeah. To me, it's all slippery slope. I mean, you get twelve teams now, and next thing your daughter's knocked up, and your son's drinking beer in the stadium and betting on the local team. <laughs> <laughs> Dogs you know, and cats living together. Ass hysteria, right? I mean, at the end of the day, none of this, whether it's four or 12 teams, none of this changes some of the core issues that even were just mentioned here. Uh, if you don't like SEC teams getting preferential treatment, you can look at the PFF right now, gave their preseason top 12, and five of those teams, shocking, are SEC teams. So, great. We'll have five teams in the playoff from the SEC. That's an issue right there. If you don't like Bama and Ohio State and Clemson in it, beat them. But no one's beating them. And I don't think teams are going to beat them in this 12 either. That's part of the issue. I mean, the season is the playoff always. And these teams don't lose. At the core of it, that is the absolute issue is that there are two or three or four teams right now that just kind of have control over it. And the playoff doesn't fix that. Can I jump on that first? Sure. Hunk? Go for it. I, I, that is where I think I actually disagree with you. Because I think fundamentally those teams are dominating this current structure because essentially they were the best teams when it started. They're able to get into the first couple of playoffs and now they are dominant. They continue to, they have great coaches. I want to be clear. I'm not saying that they, they aren't really good at what they do, but they also have the absolute cream of the crop from a talent perspective sure. um, and have built upon that. And it, that is a, um, a virtuous cycle for them. They are just continuing to reload and it is a yep. very small pocket of teams. Um, Oklahoma is somewhat in there, you know, I guess you could consider Georgia or whatever, but really it, it's a very small selected group that gets that. And it's because they're the only teams that make the playoff. And so that it's much easier for them to tell the five-star high four-star or whatever they are, or, or, I mean, Alabama will take three stars if they like them. So, but they are convincing those guys you got to come here if you want to play for the best. Well, sure. with a, a larger playoff, you then can start to see uh, a dispersion of talent potentially. Doesn't matter. I, Doesn't I disagree matter. with that. Georgia, Why do you say Georgia that? has out recruited Alabama a couple of different times during the last three a or couple four years. different times. Doesn't matter. That's... Texas has out recruited Oklahoma a couple of different times. The playoff isn't the thing that's going to hurt Alabama football. The thing that will eventually hurt Alabama football is Nick Saban leaving. That's what's going to happen. If Tom Osborne was the head coach in Nebraska and, and, in 1997 and you guys had a 25-team playoff, we'd win it. 
we would just win it because that's what we would be doing at that time. And those teams right now are just beating everyone and no one is stepping up to beat them. And the playoff isn't the thing that's going to stop it. I, I, I don't know if that's true or not, I guess, in the sense that I feel like the, the more quality teams that are in the playoff, the more challenges that Alabama and Clemson have to beat, eventually they can lose a game. They, they, they've been able to go and play in an SEC championship game and not even worry about winning or losing it because it didn't matter to them, right? So they'd only had to play really two games to win a title. Well, right? you're saying, so, but you're saying the year that they didn't play in one. Yeah, but I've been saying saying that that they can go into an SEC SEC championship game and hypothetically still make a, a Final Four uh, right now. I mean, that, yeah, that, but that the, would my, my point is they're still winning them all. I mean, they're still winning those games to get there. That's the thing. I mean, no one's beating Ohio State in the Big Ten right now. How about that? No one is. No one's stepping up and, and beating those guys. And so, so you don't I, believe that there would be a dispersion of talent I, in a, no, in a larger playoff? No. You can make other arguments with me to get to make it eight or twelve or six. I mean, I've seen different numbers. You could make other arguments with me. That's not one of them that I'm going to buy. That's not that's not a selling point to me. Now, well, a that's selling intriguing. Point that's to my me, number one selling point for any of it's, this. It's it's not to me because. There's other teams that are should be good enough right now. They've recruited well enough that they should be able to not just compete and kind of when Alabama loses in the season, when LSU could do it one time, when they had one magical year with Joe Burrow, Alabama doesn't make the playoff. Somebody had to step up and do it. And they did it under the current structure. Right. All right. So, so hockey's a, a four teamer boomer. Uh, any uh, reply to that? Well, I think, you know, some of what you said is kind of, I'm, I do kind of tend to agree that you would have a better chance to get a greater pool of recruits if you have more opportunity to make playoffs, particularly if you guarantee a conference champion in. Because right now you're looking at, you know, interest in the Pac-12. People always talk about how that conference is having a heck of a time, you know. And, and you can say, okay, you know, step up and beat these teams. Well, you don't get to play them ever. I mean, right now the way scheduling works, you never play these teams. And it's just very difficult to, to, to do that in college football with the amount of teams that are out there scheduling 85 years in advance. I think, you know, that's where we're going, <laughs> right. you know, the Alabama oh, yeah, scheduling, I mean, you know, who knows what already. And, you know, they're scheduled so far out. It's so hard to predict that. And it's just the nature of the, of the game. You just can't play and beat these teams. Like we say, okay, Alabama needs to lose. Well, great, but you're counting on the sec to beat them. PFF that's, has five of the top 12 teams in the country. Michael are in the sec. So that's what right, but I'm, I'm looking at it from, they from already a, have to get, play a tougher schedule. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at According it from a 12 perspective. How do we get them interested in this? How do we keep players there? How do we get those programs interested? Because I think generally the, the sport is going to be healthier when it's got a national interest. If it starts becoming that it's just going to be an sec and a couple of ACC type team sort of thing. That's not healthy for the sport in the long term, and it's not healthy for now. Nebraska that's a different term. discussion. That's it, it, it all ties into the how, same discussion. No, no, so. stop that for sure a does. second. Stop yeah. it. Do you is this an issue of that we are losing a national interest in college football? Forget about whether it's four or eight or twelve. Are are we legitimately having a discussion right now that there is a a lack of interest nationally in college football? I think uh, attendance figures would probably suggest that. Certain uh, geographies yeah, do seem geography to be less, certainly less does, interesting. Yeah. All right. Which which impacts, you know, recruiting and everything else. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I saw the numbers. Uh, hockey, you're using this PFF guy to say that, you know, 
they'd be five SEC teams in this year sure. or whatever, which hypothetically it, it totally could happen. Uh, I think it was unsportsmanlike conduct or no, maybe it was Dennis Dodd. They were just quoting Dennis Dodd, I want to say, but he actually went back and, and looked at everything since 2014 or whatever like that. And I think the PAC 12 would get like six and they've, they've gotten like just a couple. They'd add, they'd add like six additional sure. teams, blah, blah, blah. You know what conference would have had the most playoff um, participants? Um, since um, the, the playoff kicked off, it had been a 12-team the whole time. Well, you're saying it in a way where it sounds like it wouldn't be the SEC. That is correct. I don't know, the Big Ten? Big Ten. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. because you By a couple, well, of, a couple of game, teams, teams yeah. I also, that's a meaningless stat to me because when you're basing it off of the last five, six, seven years, but you're throwing different criteria on it, does anyone honestly believe that the same top 12 would have been? At, that's if, a, if that's there's a fair, a, if there's fair a critique. I was just saying that, I mean, if we're going to sure. rely on some random pro football focus ranking right now um, to hypothetically say that five yeah. SEC teams are in this year, um, you can go back in time and, and say that the Big Ten at least was very competitive sure. um, for the SEC. And you're looking at teams like Iowa and Wisconsin from the Big Ten West uh, making it in the playoff. To Boomer's point about just like the competitive nature of college football, I, I, I think um, – you have a scenario where you have a Big Ten West team that's a 10-win a team. Um, yes, they do lose to Ohio State, but they still make the playoff. Um, that's that's a, a big reward and an opportunity, just like how Nebraska baseball was rewarded with just that chance to, to pull the upset um, can be really invigorating for a fan base and, um, and, and certain conferences, I would imagine, that right now feel mm-hmm. left out of the out of the party and boomer an- another factor that you've mentioned many times is um going to a larger number whether it's eight or 12 um makes the case of a lawsuit from a group of five contingent less likely right <laughs> yeah that's something you have to think about here too i just just access to this and that's going to be a reality at some point if, and we saw the last couple seasons the way it's currently structured and the way it goes there is no chance a group of five team is ever going to be allowed to in the playoffs in the current system. I mean, they can win every game on their schedule and they don't even come close. I mean, that's just the reality of what's going to happen. You know, we've seen kind of how criteria shift, you know, in, in during shows when you talk to the committee, how they decide who's going to be ranked where. So I think this is just going to be something they're going to have to do. Just you have to be realistic about it. And how can you head that off? You know, we've seen the NCAA drag their feet when it comes to this whole name image likeness thing. So maybe they'll actually be clever and be ahead of the game here. And how can we head this sort of thing off? Because this is how you could really, you know, have a serious problem with your structure of football. So if you're just starting the season saying all you teams, you have zero access to win and, you know, generate all this money, that's eventually going to get in a lawsuit or a big uh, congressional hullabaloo or something they probably don't want. So how can you work that in? And you're not going to be able to do it with a 14 playoff. That's just shown. That's not going to happen. So I don't have any confidence that, the NCAA is going to get ahead of this by any means. But I also I think it's inevitable that it's going to happen in some format. And, Boomer, you've at least mentioned it, and I know we're on the same boat here. You want to see some home teams playing, you know, get more college stadiums involved. I think that's a that's a big piece of it. You know, you don't want to add extra games. That's a big thing that I've heard come out of this. And one of the things that came out of COVID was, like with the Big Ten, when we played Rutgers, how they used that week nine – you could conceivably replace week 12 with the championship game, the conference championship game. So you only have 11 scheduled games, but then in week 12, everybody can play a 12th game. You'll just find out who you play by doing it, doing it that weekend. 
that's a good way around not hurting teams. Everyone still gets to play 12 games, but you're just you're scheduling 11. You play your 12th one against a comparable team. You play your, your conference championship game in that week 12, and now we're not adding that additional 16th game uh, to those teams that are going through the playoffs. I think it's inevitable. It's going to happen. So, I mean, I can argue it until I'm blue in the face that we shouldn't do it, but it's going to happen. Let's yeah, the money piece bit. will be interesting. And, and I think the potential for the amount of money you could make, you know, with the college football playoff that it could command, you know, when it comes to a new deal or restructuring, I think it'd be pretty hefty. I mean, what does the NCAA tournament bring in for the NCAA every year? That's mm. a big yeah. chunk of change. And if you have a commodity like college football, especially, you know, once this courage playoff contract is up and, you might have somebody like Amazon or someone bidding on it. That's a lot of money, you know, for, yeah. for teams. And that could, that could, you know, if you spread it around in conferences properly, that could make up for that lost home game that some of these teams might get. I, I heard it could effect. be up yeah. to four times more than what they currently have with ESPN. I have, it's an astronomical number. It's I have huge. space balls going through my head where it's like, it, barf, it's not a lot of money. We're talking about a <laughs> shitload of money. <laughs> And at the end of the day, that's what this amateur sport is all about. So, it's <laughs> <laughs> uh, great. Uh, only thing else I wanted to talk about a little bit on this one, and I, I thought, yeah, I think you could appreciate this, is like, I guess, do you feel like uh, an expanded playoff would enhance or be a detriment to the regular season? I've, I've heard arguments on both sides, um, and it's just intriguing to me that we can have such different opinions on something like this. So do you think it's going to help or hinder uh, regular season intrigue? I used to care a lot more about the, the season. Oh, you're going to ruin the, the spirit of the, the season. But you know what? I mean, we've gone through so many iterations from 20 years ago where we get into the BCS. And now you've added college football playoffs. It gets easier and easier along the way to add more teams. And so what's funny is this really isn't, I mean, if we go to 12, it's not that crazy of a thought anymore. It, it would have been. Imagine proposing this 25 years ago. Sure. Blasphemy. But but today, because, you know, they've slowly – you keep adding a little more, but then you make it something – you just throw enough twang on it that's horrible. Like the BCS was like, here, we'll, we'll throw that one title game at you, but we'll throw a bunch of crap on it that makes it look awful with, you know, computer rankings and all that. And people are pissed off. And, well, give me the a four-team playoff. That will at least, you know, make everyone happy. And then – in year one, you're already screwing TCU and Baylor over. And, and before you know it, it's like, well, give us 12 teams. And so we'll probably be at 24 before we know it anyway. So whatever, this is just, it's the gateway. This is the gateway drug to 24 teams, folks. That's what, that's that's what right. we're talking about. That's right. just, it's just one big playoff, really. You know, that's, I always kind of compare it to Major League Baseball. You know, for the longest time, it was just, you know, you win your pennant and then it's the World Series. You know, you played your big long season, and then when they started talking playoff expansion, you know, you had traditionalists that were worried it was going to completely destroy the game, and no one was, was care anymore. But you know, I honestly think expanded baseball playoffs really helped interest in the regular season. You just have way more exciting, you know, races as it comes down to the close. You've got you more teams. Yeah, you got more teams competing. competing. You've got you know people more willing to spend some money to try to get players and build a team because you got a better chance at getting it. You're just not trying to compete against the Yankees every year where you had no chance and. You know, it. I, I think it adds a different kind of interest, I think. You know, it's not just that one dominant team or handful of teams. It gives more people a shot, and it, it gives you a chance to screw up and maybe still rally. You know, maybe some people don't like that with the purity of college football or whatever they like to pretend existed, which, you know, probably never really did. But uh, I, I think overall, once it happens and people just kind of get used to it, I think they'll like it and it'll make more sense. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I do think if they do the the bye weeks uh, for the top four teams, home uh, games for the the next four. I mean, you're going to have incentive to win as many games as possible, right? You're you're going to rather play less games or play a home game than be on the road. I mean, to be a nine through twelve um, and think you're going to be able to win on the road and then play a team that's fully rested, who's the mm-hmm. top four in the country. Right. I mean, so you're going to be incentive to keep on winning games. Yeah. For any Husker traditionalists out there, and I would throw myself in this mix. We have played Florida State and Miami so many times down in the Orange Bowl that Boomer, all you had to come to me, you, you don't have to throw any of this, you know, uh, this will make Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State worse. All you had to tell me was we might get a chance to have Alabama come to Lincoln in December someday. And, and I'm sold. If that's what this playoff could do, if, if it could manage a way to force teams to play out of their element because that's the one thing we've always talked about with like the sec the sec knows how to manage the elements they you know if they're going to play a, a non-conference game they'll do it in a uh neutral site when auburn like played washington. Yeah, yeah auburn played washington in atlanta a perfect neutral site right or they'll play you know the fcs team in november or they'll only play eight conference games you know they could always control the setting and that's the thing that always drove people like me nuts with the sec was they were controlling the setting. I'm not saying they're not good. I'm just saying they, they're they making it everything fall in the lane perfectly. Well, if you can give me a little bit of a playoff system like this that can maybe put teams out of their element and force the issue, okay, I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm tired of seeing teams going to bowl. Every, the Big Ten, every single team goes and travels thousands of miles to a bowl game to play somebody that's traveling hundreds of miles. It happens all the time. That's oh, why I really expect the Big Ten to screw this up and sign that away immediately. <laughs> as so, yeah, guarantee everything played in a handful of three southern yeah. states. So, yeah. Um, and that's the problem. That's, that's what I think is going to come out of this. We're going to somehow have a, a, you know, a playoff system that is structured to be only in Dallas, Phoenix, and, you know, Atlanta and Miami or, so, you know, some garbage yeah, sure, like that. Sure. And, and we'll sign off because, well, why not? Because well, they we, all, we want those, those uh, great getaways in January away that's from right. the bitter cold of the Midwest, obviously. Yeah. Unless you're in the San Diego of the Big Ten here in Nebraska, right? Yeah, it's going to be like 100 tomorrow. We're Phoenix here. With uh, and so, no, it's good stuff. What, one more thing. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, auto bids. Uh, Boomer, Rob, Honky, uh, do you, are you in favor of the auto bid coming out of the conferences? I kind of like the idea in the sense that I think it makes the conference races really interesting and winning the Big Ten Wests then immediately, I mean, it's weird to think about it. There's no auto bid right now, right? So there's no guarantee. But if you did win the Big Ten West um, and you had an auto bid on the line, I know you're playing Ohio State hockey to your point. You got to go beat them. But um, it would mean a lot to have that that guaranteed in, right? I don't know. I'd like to at least have a better chance to get in, right, if you win the Big Ten West and then lose to Ohio State in the championship game. I'd also be interested to see, uh, again, in some of those – you know, um, other conferences, the smaller conferences, just again, some of those teams are really intriguing. You know, they've got Cincinnati this year ranked up there in like the top 15, I think, as Honky was talking about, they would you know, and, and potentially they would, make the playoff, they would right? potentially make the playoff, right? Like it would be fun to see teams like that go in and beat a big powerhouse once in a while. Um, you know, and you just don't get to see that. And I think that is, if you, if you want to talk about attendance and things like that, that's the sort of thing that gets attendance up because people want to see games like that. They're going to want to watch games like that on TV. Um, it just, it, it makes for more intriguing 
television. You know, yes, you're going to have your traditionalists when it comes to college football and people that just want to see the traditional ways and, and honky. And you're one of those. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. But also, if you want to draw in the casual viewer on television or even to attend a game, you want to have some kind of intrigue like that where, you know, David can beat Goliath. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, I, I, I like the auto bid idea. Again, it, it kind of staves off, I think, you know, one of the legal challenges end of it because, you know, at some point people are just going to get peeved at the way it's set up. If, if it's all, that's just one thing. Just get it off the plate. Take it out of the, the mix, Honky. I know you look upset by that. But not, that's just a minor I, thing. It depends on what's clear it, that it, off. It de- it'll clear what off? Are you talking about auto bids for like, like yeah, a group eight. of five, and you and know, at some all point, group of five, or, or I mean, are we doing no, what the March just, Madness is? We could do that if, if we had our ideal you know, 16, 2014 playoff right on the road. But we'll worry about that later, best. hockey. We'll, we'll do that on next year's row. Redcast when we expand it. But I think yeah. what it does is, to Dave's point, it makes divisional races way more interesting for the entire season. You know, you win the West, you have it. You're in that chance to play for your conference championship. You go to the playoffs. That's exciting. And just think of what that extra spice that adds to divisional rivalry games late in the year. Okay, maybe you're not going to win your division, but hey, if you knock Iowa's chance out to go to the college football playoff, that's a heck of a time too. I mean, that's going to add a whole whole new element to all those games that are divisional games late in the year. It gives fans a reason to show, watch. Like Dave said, it attracts casual fans to these sorts of things. And, and, and uh, you know, Rob's point, it just kind of adds up David and Goliath element to it. We love Cinderella stories in every other sport, seemingly, except for Division One college football. I never quite understood why that's the case, but it just seems to be the way it's, everyone's approached sport for the longest time, and I don't quite understand that. And, and you know, people say, "Well, the Alabamas and things are going to win all the time." Yeah, and they probably will most times. You know, in the NFL, it's usually that way. The best couple of teams tend to win. You'll have the weird fluke years where they don't. FCS, you tend to see that. You know, the, the top yeah, that, that North seeds. Dakota State. Yeah, you know, they that, tend to win it, but boy, they sure, you'll have you times know, where the, the number seven seed will make it to the championship game. I think Maine made it to the semifinals or the finals a couple of years ago, and they were a seven seed. You know, that's awesome. a fun little run for a team like that and their fans and a fan base to watch. So it, it just provides those opportunities. It gives those everybody a shot at it. And again, we have to remember this is ultimately a game for student athletes. They should all have a chance to play for a title. I mean, the way it's set up now, they don't. And it's just strange that we have a sport in a system where we start with a lot of teams, a lot of players that just say, sorry, you don't have a chance. And that's the way it is. And this at least opens it up. It makes it realistic. And ultimately, it's a college game for these athletes and kids. That's what it should be. All right. Good stuff, guys. Good discussion. I enjoyed it. Um, All right. Let's get out of here with some parting shots. Let's start with hockey. Well, first I'll start with, uh, they have the Big Red Blitz. I mentioned it at a parting shot a couple of shows ago, um, but they actually announced uh, where and who is going where. And so it's on June 16th, and there's going to be 10 groups hitting 20 stops across the state. Of note, uh, group number five hits our hometown of Columbus and David City, and that is women's basketball coach Amy Williams, uh, defense coordinator Eric Shenander, and uh, the QB coach, Mario Verdusco. So uh, that'll be a lot of fun there for our good folks back in Columbus to watch. Um, in addition, they announced today the Nebraska Athletics Hall of Fame class is finalized for this year. Boomer, unfortunately, the Baron did not get inducted. But out of wrestling, I think we can all appreciate this, Jordan Burroughs did. And I, I would definitely say he is deserving of getting into the uh, Nebraska Athletics Hall of Fame there. In addition to Jordan, uh, Bob Serve, baseball and men's basketball. 
from uh, 1947 to 50. Kelsey Griffin, women's basketball. She was outstanding back in the late 2000s. Larry Jacobson won a couple of national championships for us there in uh, 70 and 71. And then Kathy Knopf with volleyball from 81 to 84. So congrats to all of them and uh, go Big Red. Awesome. Thanks, Hunk. Uh, Boomer. Yeah, that actually was uh, my parting shot, uh, congratulating uh, Jordan Burroughs into the uh, Nebraska Athletics Hall of Fame, and that door now has been opened again for wrestling greats to get in there. So it's time next year. It's time to hashtag induct the Baron. I think we can all get that bandwagon started. We'll have some time this summer to get that going. So we look forward to all the Redcasters hopping on that, and we can inundate uh, the Husker Twitter feed and you know email addresses with some with a campaign. So we might as well get that going. So we've got some time now in the off season. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll just throw in the, the Bob serve um, election, uh, a, an all-time great baseball player out of the state of Nebraska and a longtime major leaguer. That's a great addition. My dad always talked about how great he was back in the forties. All right, Rob, get us out of here. Uh, tomorrow, Thursday, June 10th means exactly 11 weeks until I hit the road for my first leg of the honky Mac and Rob road trip to Champaign, Illinois for the first game of the 2021 football season. Uh, so that is really exciting. I just realized that about 20 minutes ago and, and started getting a little bit giddy, but I'd also like to wish a very happy birthday to your daughter, Simone there, Dave, as uh, she turned two the other day. And um, my daughter, uh, Vivian Opal, will turn two tomorrow. Um, somehow you and I managed to have uh, two girls apiece and they are the same age and only born, um, well, in this case, a couple of days apart. And our first two daughters are we're born a couple of weeks apart. So great minds think um, alike, Rob. That's right. Apparently we went to some really good parties. That's all I know. <laughs> so um, happy birthday to those two beautiful little girls though, because uh, they are our world. So go big red. All right. Great stuff, guys. Enjoy the talk. Uh, let's call that a go big red cast. Go big red. Go big red. Hoda Media Production.